Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. Yo, the market's on a heater, so get about your cedar. Take a lap around the studio, your ears up to the speaker. There's no one as elite like my machines are behind the meter, cause I'm shining. Always finding hashes like I'm grinding. The path to greater freedom is a road that's always winding, so I race it. Victory, I taste it. Lazy is a snake pit, but you gotta keep it real, cause facsimiles are fake. Shake and break the power of placebo. John Palmer trades every single hour on the SIBO. Some dummies call the corner bubble or flower, yo, but we know that there's more to what we're building than decentralized casino. I do it differently. Bring poetry to industry. So many financial instruments that you could call it symphony. My infantry is gallantry, infinity, and majesty. I'm savage with the passages when I'm rapping on galaxy brands. As always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, head of firmwide research at Galaxy Digital. Thank you for listening to Galaxy Brains. We have a great show for you today. John Palmer, president of SIBO Digital Markets, is our guest. We're going to talk about the intersection of traditional markets, market structure, and crypto. It's a fascinating discussion. We'll also check with our good friend Bimnet, a BB from Galaxy Trading, as always, to talk markets. And before we get to all of that, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer in the podcast notes and note that none of the information in this podcast constitutes investment advice or an offer recommendation or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Let's hop right into the show. Let's go now to our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. As always, Bimnet, welcome to Galaxy Brands. Thanks for having me. So, you know, Bitcoin, I guess, is technically flat a little bit, although we did earlier this week hit a yearly high of like nearly 53k but now we're back in the 51 range i mean it's basically the same range we've been over 50k for nine consecutive days um ether has outperformed a little bit in the last week or two yeah um but still i would say below where it was the last time bitcoin was at 50k so still also kind of in its range in the scheme of things so not a ton of news crypto major price action wise since we last spoke um, is that your view of the crypto markets at the moment? Yeah, no, I would tell you that the price action we've seen over the past week is is incredibly constructive. Yeah. Right? What you're seeing is uh, an asset class maturing in front of, you know, your face, basically. You know, the ETF volumes have started to, you know, materially, you know, go higher. You've had consistent, you know, inflows. Dips have been bought. And... You know, in ETH, it's less institutional <laughs> right now. Um, but I think, you know, what what's capturing folks, you know, with respect to ETH is, is kind of just the broader, like, crypto narrative, yeah. right, around tokenization, stable coins. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of, like, meetings that I'm just, like, getting pulled into about this different effort, that other effort. Yeah. Um, and it seems like now people have finally realized that it's here to last. It's not like some fad where, you know, some some bank or what, whatever random firm, like for a year invests in it, and then like the next year it's like... Oh, oh yeah, or, uh, they do innovation theater, which yes. I used to call it. No, it seems yeah. more durable now. It, it That is exactly how I describe it. Yeah. It seems much more durable. Um, and I think that makes folks very excited for, you know, where ETH is going to be, you know, on a go-forward basis. Um, and then I, I genuinely think like 3K is a big level. Like it, it's the highest level ETH has been at in you April know, over, 22. Yeah. Basically. Um, you know, th there's lots of good reasons for it. You know, Eigenlayer um, is, has been, you know, really constructive. Bitcoin's been doing well. So it's high the, beta. The there's wealth the effect. restaking situation. Yeah, supply yeah. that's getting staked. And it's um, been, I, I would point out too, I think our, our audience will know this, but I mean, Bitcoin is... I would say more predictably scarce, certainly than ETH, but ETH has been basically flat supply like for years yeah. now, and, uh, and so uh, it's, it's also scarce. Is my yeah, point. So it if is demand scarce. increases, it can. But the other thing is just like the culture of like asset allocation in the U.S. Right, like people just buy and hold, and normally in equity world, in fixed income, and uh, uh, you know, part of it's one if you sell something that's a taxable event. But two, like a lot of people are invested in stuff to hedge themselves versus fee at the basement. Like yeah. people, people are always afraid of that. Right. Anyway, like with ETH, like you have, you've had a ton of like bag holders that just haven't sold through through many cycles. And I'd say the underperformance of ETH relative to Bitcoin, you know, you can assign some of it to just how much was in bankruptcy estates. You know, like Celsius was selling a ton, and you could see it on chain yeah, like, ev every day. So there was always all this supply. Um, but now, you know, that's kind of cleared up a little bit. 
And it looks like an asset that's just like run out of sellers. Yeah. And you have like a bit of marginal flow and markets that get set at the margin. And, you know, there are tactical guys and you know, crypto native hedge funds, et cetera, playing for, for swings here and there. But broadly, like ETH is in the big asset game now, you know, with, with Bitcoin. And what do people do? They just buy, hold, accumulate. Um, and there's tons of ETH maxis, et cetera. For sure. You, big you know, community. Sound money and all of that. They have so it's interesting got, technology narrative with the L2s yeah, really being it's got a story. Used. It's got a chart. There flows. Like, right. it's, it's trading well. I rarely allow myself to get there in terms of, I'm moving on to Bitcoin now, yeah. but, you know, I rarely let myself go there in terms of, like, right tail stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, the analysts on TV calling for 250 grand and a million bucks. Like, you know, I try to be a little bit more pragmatic about, um, you know, market expectations, but it's really hard not to think what the future value of Bitcoin is going to be based on the current, like, supply dynamics that, that we know about right now. Like in terms of just the the flows we've had so far are exceptional, I would say at this point they weren't at the start, um, and that's without without Bitcoin ETFs being in all the platforms, right? Without the the distribution of the entire right. U.S. you know wealth management platforms, platforms all, banks, all broker dealers, that, yeah, etc. And so I think you're just kind of at the tip of the iceberg with respect to you know how far-reaching this ETF product is going to be. And to go to, to go along with that, you know, you have the supply of, of, the, of the happening, right? Like literally like supply, you know, is going gonna, is gonna to come down. And so it just kind of seems like one of those things that's just always going to have marginal buyers or and really not that much yeah. in terms of sellers. It could be speculators selling, et cetera. But, but one, of the other, one of the other sort of this year questions has been rates, right? With yeah, the, absolutely. And we, we know we have the having. I, I love your point about the advisor platforms, not even, I mean, I, we've been, we've said this over the last couple of weeks, but like, frankly, surprised, obviously, happily surprised with the volumes and in, inflows that we've seen in the ETFs even before this main market for them comes online. That's just great. That just makes me even more bullish. And that's a major one, the catalyst of various large bank or broker-dealer wealth management platform turning on Bitcoin ETFs is going to be a drip, drip, drip that you hear over the next 12 to 18 and 24 months. Um, but the having is a big narrative event. And, and I had been, I've always been of the view, especially this is what happened in 2020, right? It was the monetary easing, historic, arbitrary, crazy levels, the same time that Bitcoin, credible, neutral, predictable, yeah. tightens. You had been for a while in the fall and earlier this year, it looked like the same dynamic was going to happen. Obviously, the easing that we're expecting is not nearly what happened in COVID, but that arbit arbitrary human-designed controlled rate cuts and maybe balance sheet runoffs and easing would occur at the same time as the having again. Yeah. Now we're going to have the having. It looks like rate cuts won't happen ha at, at that time, right? Yeah, so most likely May or June will so, be the first. Well, if it's if it's May, that's still kind of right still, there. I mean, yeah. we're looking at April 20th or 19th yeah. for the having. But my question is, are you surprised to see Bitcoin's performance in the face of what Fed funds rate at five and a quarter? Like it, rates are so high, but Bitcoin's almost at all-time highs. At one, do we need cuts? Two, is it better to have them sooner or later? Because I was thinking maybe even later is better since it's doing great with it here. <laughs> you know, it's like gives it a second a shot, shot if it yeah. – what are your thoughts on that timing and no, stuff? No, yeah. So in terms of one, like does the economy need cuts? And that's up for debate. The current data says you don't need them, right? Employment's incredibly, um, you know, contained or, you know, low. Um, and prices, you know, there's still upside risk. To, to, to inflation, um, at least as, as far as we can tell right now. Um, and so it's really up for debate. I tell you the best logic for, for cutting is that stuff is, has normalized and you are at restrictive levels and you're, you know, let's say 200 basis points above restrictive. So you probably, if your policy objectives are met, you want to get to neutral and you're not at neutral. Right. And then your risks are, if you think your risk is more tilted towards uh, a hard landing or employment, unemployment ticking higher, um, then you should probably start cutting before that that turn happens. And so that's the logic with, with rate cuts. And, you know, I think it's going to be an important driver for markets. But I tell you, the scenarios are already, like, baked in to a certain extent, right? We've gone from a market that prices in seven cuts to closer to three, four, mm -hmm. right? And you've kind of established that that range. And so if you go back to pricing in a lot more cuts, like, 
that's probably going to be because the economy has turned and, you know, maybe stocks will do well in that environment. Um, they most likely will because they do well in any environment, it seems like, right now. But that's kind of where you are. I'd say the, the, the bigger thing for me, um, you know, in terms of monetary policy that I think hits home, you know, even more um, with respect to Bitcoin is, is the balance sheet management, right? If we live in a world where everybody, you know, is forced to recognize the fact that we are basically not going to be able to reduce the balance sheet at a certain point and that ultimately because of the fiscal situation that the balance sheet has to be ever expanding on a go forward basis like the moment where we're just like printing money to buy our own debt to go you know spend money on Social all the official any, any type of programs any any any, yeah, any wars, program what. whatever yeah and it's like it's just that i think will, will kind of drive the 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 message home about you know fiat debasement right it's Perpetual and inevitable in this current system. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, yeah, perpetual and inevitable. Yeah. Um, and so it's a matter of time um, before that, that happens. And, and I think, uh, you know, that, that balance sheet policy shift is kind of what I'm, I'm more focused on. So that on. might be the second shot when we that, really— that, Correct. It's both yeah. when we see it, but also when it becomes, like, understood that yes. that's what's going to happen. But, but at the end of the day, I could tell you that, you know, macro markets are the most important thing— uh, and like, if Nasdaq crashes five percent, Bitcoin will crash five percent. Like, you know that that stuff is mostly true. But I think you really have to think about Bitcoin in isolation. And there's a whole investor base that wasn't able to get access before that is just getting access. Markets move at the margin, and if there are going to be more marginal buyers and sellers on a consistent basis for for Bitcoin, the price needs to go a lot higher. And that's kind of where we're at. And I, you know, I, you could talk to people on either end of the monetary policy spectrum, and I don't think it would sway you on, you know, where Bitcoin prices are headed. Like, I've, I've talked to macro guys that are super hawkish and super dovish, but most of them are pretty bullish Bitcoin, and they wish they had more. Yep, I hear you. Well, Bimnetta Bibi, my friend from Galaxy Trading, as always, thank you so much. Pleasure. Let's go now to our guest, John Palmer, president of SIBO Digital Markets. John, welcome to Galaxy Brains. Alex, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to have John on because SIBO is one of the most storied and oldest derivatives and spot and equity exchanges in, in the world, um, a staple in Chicago. Some of our audience may have recently heard of SIBO just very recently in crypto because several of the Bitcoin spot ETFs trade on SIBO's BZX exchange. Um, but SIBO was early to add uh, Bitcoin uh, futures markets. Um, but SIBO Digital is something new and a little bit different. I think it's really interesting. So we're going to get into it with John. But before we do that, John, tell the audience who you are and um, it, what your background is and how you got interested in Bitcoin and, and crypto. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Uh, so background, um, basically been building exchanges uh, really since out of school. Uh, was a quant by education and then just decided that I liked the intersection of tech and, and business and trading and kind of fell into product management and kind of just started building from there. Um, most of my career has been on the equity derivative side. I joined SIBO through the BATS acquisition back in 2016, having uh, helped them, you know, build out some of the options exchanges, um, spent a little bit of time migrating some of the stuff that SIBO was operating over to uh, BATS technology. Yep. Um, that's when I got into futures, which we'll talk about yeah. with uh, – SIBO being the first Bitcoin futures contract yep. um, in, I think, 2018 or early, I think it was late December 2017. Yeah, because, if I get my numbers uh, right. I think there was a whole thing that I think actually if you look at that December 17, like parabolic move in Bitcoin, it, it peaked at SIBO yeah. futures launch. Yeah. So people were like, like, oh, a, no, is it bearish? Right. It was a race <laughs> between CME and SIBO. We we won at yeah. least the first leg of that race. Yeah. Um, I remember all my all my buddies were, were buying Bitcoin at the time, not to tangent too much, but they're like, what do you think about this? I'm like, it's a bearish opportunity because now people can sell it. You <laughs> could only buy Bitcoin before, right? Now, yeah. now actually, you know, folks can sell it, so be careful. Yeah. Right. And they're like, I don't understand what that means, <laughs> you know, because they don't they don't work in markets. And so I was just you like, you can definitely short it in a way that you really couldn't before, for sure. 100%, right. percent. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. Seventeen. Um, moved in the options, ran the options business for for SIBO for a number of years. Jumped into crypto in 21. Um, did a did a stint at a, at a startup in in Bermuda. Uh, building international derivatives uh, exchange uh, for institutional participants um, for for just shy of a year, and then Sibo had bought Eris X, 
um, which became SIBO Digital. Um, and that deal was in May of 22 when it finalized. And so I, I came back um, to rejoin SIBO um, and, and run the digital effort. So Boomerang employee, that's as great. I like to term it, some people think that's funny and some people don't, but <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Well, I mean, I, I love the story. And Eris X, I think, was one of the original institutional grade spot markets for uh, Bitcoin and other digital assets. Um, I, we interacted with them when I was at Fidelity for a long time. And um, so and, and so interesting that now at SIBO makes a lot of sense. They had built great institutional trading tech at a time when, and, and I think this is where we're going to really start going in this conversation, but at a time when, if you think about the 2017 rally in crypto assets bubble, if you want to call it that, I don't call it that because you don't get multiple bubbles over, you know, decades. In the doesn't, same asset? doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's not a tulip. I mean, show me where tulips went up again. I saw a recent chart actually where uh, I think BOA put out a chart about like various bubbles in, of, over the last 20 years and they have like, China and then like or housing and like China and then like then they had tech and then they had Bitcoin and then now they have AI and I'm like wait so you're just looking at the one from 21 and right. calling that the Bitcoin bubble but what like you used to call the other one or what about the one even before that that's right. a little bit of a tangent but that that move that rally throughout 2017 happened on the back of very scant market infrastructure right. um, it was exchanges like Poloniex and uh, you know. Um, Bitstamp and 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 some of these are still around. I'm not saying they're not relevant now, but um, that was like all there was. There was Coinbase, right? There there was no institutional custody. There was no institutional settlement. There was yeah. no institutional market. Um, and 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 Eris and others were born out of that, along with many other types of companies. Galaxy was founded at the end of that, like all the lending companies, all the institutional yeah. custody companies, right? So there was clear market need was defined. So what has that was? Oh God, it's twenty four. That was uh, that was six, uh, what six years ago? Seven yeah, years. I had ago. to do the math. I was like, wow. Yeah, Seven years ago. How far has that nascent and then direly needed institutional exchange infrastructure come in those last seven years? Yeah. No. I. You know, it, it's crazy to think about um, how things have changed in the crypto space over those seven years, and and I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of it today. Um, you know, from our perspective how much has changed. I think we're just now really seeing that adoption that I think, you know, RSX was formed in what SIBO Digital is really about even today for I mean, back in 17 was, you know, providing an ecosystem, uh, an experience uh, platform that institutions that were trading other asset, highly, highly liquid asset classes in the U.S. are used to. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when you think about that, you think about like some really small, Nuances like um, uh, bare metal matching engines that accept fix or binary APIs that yep. allow people to co-locate. And when you look at 2017, like everything was WebSocket and REST API installed. There's a lot of that and, and it's, used, it's used. But if you're latency sensitive, right, yeah. you want co-locate, you want probably something even better than fix, but you'll take fix if that's all you have. Um, and so that was that was what it was founded for. And, and so I think we've seen... Um, the industry start to come that way more and more every call it six or eight months, mm -hmm. but it's taken a while. Yeah. Right. And, and so it's really interesting to see some of the pain points that institutions have over that lifetime of that six years. Obviously I wasn't a, a part of the team for the whole six years. So right. the pain points in 18 and 19 are certainly different than the pain points now. But I think as a, as an industry, whether it's us international, we're slowly like you run into a pain point, then we solve it run into a pain point, we solve it. But that cycle is like an eight to 12 month solving cycle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. One of the things that's so interesting about um, the exchange space, many things are, but one that I'm coming to mind at the moment is that um, exchanges are in, in equities are regulated by the SEC, right? Um, they're the Exchange Act governs exchanges. Um, now, without getting into too much about like why this is or not, but like digital assets are broadly not regulated by the SEC, despite the SEC says they're all crypto asset securities. And if they if that were true, then they would have jurisdiction. And there's a lot of lawsuits about this. Our audience knows well. Um, how does SIBO Digital, though, approach that? I mean, it, it, either in which assets you do trade and list with what is the broad, nego uh, not negotiation, but posture with Regulators is obviously a traditionally regulated, broader organization. Yeah, so it's a really important point. I think there's you know four thousand, five to ten. I don't know how many coins out there in the I world. I bet you it's it, like a it hundred thousand right now. Yeah, who knows? I don't even look. Um, I mean, <laughs> maybe you could say like the top hundred are the most liquid, sure. and even then, the top twenty is right. You know, and then even then, most of them totally. most of it's in Bitcoin and Ether. Yeah. Right, and so when we look at the tradable universe, 
we only list five coins today, right? And and it's Bitcoin, it's it's ETH, it's Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, and then USDC, yep. um, stablecoin. And that approach has been conservative, right, compared to a lot of other platforms. And we've done it intentionally that way because the lack of clarity, right, in terms of, you know, we don't know what is or isn't. And even though there may be some demand for especially some of the more popular layer ones yep. out there, you know, the, the risk isn't worth the reward at this point. Um, and so we're waiting kind of for that clarity yeah. um, to be able to offer that you know, to our customers yep. in, in, a, in, a, in a box. I'll call it a box, whatever box it is, whether it's a um, SEC, CFTC, some well, new Yeah, whatever entity, the guidance at, is. You know, just give, give me a box. Tell me what the, what the rules and to, are. Yeah, and then play. we're going to, you know, we operate 28 markets under the Seaboard umbrella globally. Right. So, and they're all regulated in some way, shape, or form. And, and probably all slightly differently. And so they're all a little bit you different. You can certainly handle. So we can figure it out. It's just there aren't any rules really exactly. I mean, obviously there are some that apply here and there, but... Um, in terms of market regulation, it's really not clear which you're supposed to. Um, I used to call those the PayPal Five, right? The one that I didn't hear, I think, was um, uh, was it, did you say Litecoin? We do, yep. Litecoin. Yeah, uh, uh, what's the one? Dogecoin. No, yeah, Dogecoin? we don't have no Dogecoin. Doge, totally yeah. legit in my view here. Uh, it's a Bitcoin fork. It has no pre-mined supply. It's proof of work, right? Anyway, you should consider yeah. listing Dogecoin. I'll put you, I'll put you in touch with my team. We'll, I'm a we'll, big fan we'll of dog money uh, in general. I think dogs deserve yeah. their own decentralized cryptocurrency. You convince <laughs> them, I'll list it. But I, but I totally get that because that list has sort of been long uh, adopted by other players like Cebo, mm -hmm. where it's you know they're most of them are they're all Bitcoin forks except for Ethereum, um, and uh, they they have more regulatory clarity. I would just say than 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 further down the list. Certainly the. Um, you know, the 2017 ICO coins or the 2020 and later like venture back coins, all, all much trickier, I think, from a fact pattern standpoint. I, I don't think personally they're securities, but I mean, it's it, much different than looking at a Bitcoin or a Bitcoin fork, right? So it uh, makes sense. So um, what other interesting, you're talking about bare metal and latency. This is something really interesting. Does yeah. your SIBO um, Digital, are, like, do, do you see like high frequency trading? Is that something that's going to start? You can't really do it well with WebSocket and sort of traditional internet architecture. But obviously, Wall Street and Chicago trading venues have enabled uh, high-speed trading for years. It's been a big, it's a big feature in markets. I think some of the most um, profitable and valuable trading companies in the world are high-speed trading firms. Is that something that's going to come at scale? Do you see it already? Is that a key constituency that you build for? Yeah, I, I do think we see it already. And, and you know, kind of we can always divide it in two camps, right? You have the quote-unquote high-frequency trading when people think about like the takers, the, the folks that are removing the market, right, and, and acting on market news as quickly as possible and, and being able to say I have an opportunity at this price. Right. I want to I I hit that price. But you also have the market makers on the other side of that that also have to adjust to that market news. And from that perspective, when you think about how much global fragmented liquidity and market data there is in crypto, it's actually, in my opinion, more important to be able to support that type of infrastructure for those participants because they want to be able to act on news or a funding rate change in some perpetual on in, right. in, in, in the international space to be able to update maybe how they view the spot market. Interesting. Right? So more news even and, and harder to find news right. makes it even maybe more needed. Correct. Um, I guess because like, you know, if you're following U.S. equities and trading those at high speed, like all the news is coming from a couple, one or two locations. You don't need like, I don't know, Mandarin speaker to know what's going on with like a top, you know, U.S. tech company. For, yeah. Well, maybe I'm, you do. I, I, I'm I don't not know. a market maker, so. <laughs> I don't know either. I, mean, I don't know. So, but, I'm not sure where they're getting the their news. the global nature but, yeah. conglomerating now into a high speed institutional grade exchange um, is interesting. Are you seeing, uh, you know, uptick in volume overall over time? Ameri I mean, we were talking before we started recording about how the Bitcoin spot ETFs have, have increased the U.S. liquidity, have increased liquidity in general for Bitcoin, but also increased the U.S. exchange market share. Mm -hmm. um, are you seeing some of that in general? And if so, what, what are the drivers in your mind? I mean, ETFs are one that I mentioned, but, you know, it was general institutional interest. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a couple things you've you've mentioned. So, I mean, to answer your earlier question, yes, we are seeing some increase. Uh, yeah. And just to kind of, we don't publish monthly or, or daily stats, although there's a public web socket that anyone can go ahead and, and kind of look at the data you want to, to see yeah. it if you're interested. Um, but, you know, when, when we close the deal, call it, you know, summer of 22, you know, we're doing maybe five or seven million a day. 
um, to be, um, and now we're doing, you know, I think yesterday we did over 200 million and that's, um, you know, up and down. It's not, sure. you know, flat 200 million every single day, but we've been in that ballpark for now really, um, leading into the ETF, uh, approval and, and post the ETF approval. And we had pockets of that even last year. So we've had a really great ramp, um, as we've onboarded, um, more and more institutional, uh, participants. And I think we're going to continue to see that ramp. We have a really great pipeline. I think interest is, is, uh, peaked, you know, we, I would say we always see interest peak when the price rises, um, generally as, as people kind of tend to engage more when there's a rally, um, and tend to pull back maybe when there's a sustained, you Classic. know, kind of bear market. Yeah. Um, and that, that's just kind of how we've seen it, but the ETF approval also has driven quite a lot of interest and it's, it's interest from new participants, but it's also interest from existing participants because now you have a whole nother ecosystem built on top of the spot market and those participants want to hedge, Yeah. right? If I'm making a market in an ETF, I need to be able to hedge my exposure. A lot of them are going to go to the spot market and they look for markets and, and counterparties that they know and they trust. And yep. so that's where we really see the opportunity. And can you connect into SIBO Digital through like traditional, like, I don't know, like traditional screens basically? Like if I'm a... Tra- traditional trader, like, or is it some new bespoke architecture? For example, if I connect to like a crypto exchange, like it's not on my traditional OMS or it's not on my traditional yeah. Bloomberg or what, or whatever, like, is that, is that something you guys offer? Yeah, there's still some integration depending on where, but the, the, the way we structured it, especially being built kind of around fix is to provide that kind of connectivity. So that way, if you're a traditional OMS and the majority of connections you use is likely fix, the integration is low, right? So right. then it just says, and it's more of just an opportunity. It's almost like for, plugging into any traditional right, venue. Right, but we're connected to a lot of different ISVs, both traditional and crypto native, right? So if you're using a TT or you're using a Talos or yeah. you're using like a CQG or even other platforms that are very, you know, call it TradFi yeah. in terms of, you know, being able to access some of the other markets, whether they're, futures, derivatives, or even spot markets, you can, you can access SIBO digital through those. Nice. That makes sense. Um, that's, I mean, it's so funny. I think about like Sam Bankman free, not to bring Sam, but FTX was, it was sort of hacked together. Right. And it was, um, it, people originally thought the tech was good. Then we, of course we then, then used to see plenty of rumblings. Oh, it's down. It won't work. Like whatever, just from traders complaining, it didn't work that well. Then of course it came out throughout his whole, the trial and the unwind there that like, actually like they, they like, their supposed famed liquidation engine didn't even exist, right? Like they, so my, uh, just drawing a comparison between um, so many times in crypto, you've got in, in some cases very brilliant people, but with no market, no real markets experience, maybe great coders or in some cases cryptographers. You, you see this across DeFi that like we tend to reinvent the history of financial services. It's like speed running the entire history, right? Yeah. Without sometimes learning the lessons that like, finance and trading learned over the centuries, right? And, and that that's a, that can be a real loss. One example is that they call um, like tokenized uh, assets from the real world, they call them real world assets, RWA, but that's that term already exists, right? right. It's like they weren't aware that RWAs are already a thing. Um, I, I make this point a little bit long-windedly to say that it's it's really, I think, refreshing and nice to finally have exchanges and venues that aren't built by um, neophytes to the trading world um, that are bringing some of the long time, you know, there's, you know, we want innovation and, and crypto and Bitcoin is certainly new and disruptive, but like, there's still things that we can learn from the traditional yeah, world. It's funny. I wrote a piece about a year ago, I put it on LinkedIn. And I think at the end we said like, what's the next big thing in crypto, right? Or, and, and, and I said, traditional finance. And, and I got a lot of people that laughed at that. And I said, but, but in all honesty, like, Sometimes you have to crawl before you run. Most of the time you do. Yeah. Um, unless, you know, you're going to be like a world-class track athlete and you just, you know, you come out of the gate <laughs> running or something like that. Um, but I view that as kind of bringing in the market structure, the, 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 the way traditional finance has kind of approached running markets with different participants doing different types of things all for a purpose because if we want to bring them on this journey with us, Right, which I think we all do because of similar to what's happening with the spot ETF, the, the amount of opportunity it brings into the ecosystem in terms of capital, right? You want to, you, you're going to need to make it look similar to what they're already doing. And it's not because um, we want to, it's because there's a risk team, there's a compliance team, there's an operational team at that entity right. that may not be willing to sign off on the change, right? Because there's a security risk or there's a operational 
lift that's over and above what they typically do, right? And so there's all these other pieces outside of the commercial business opportunity that we need to solve. And so the more you make it look, feel, and be the same as an equity trade or a derivatives trade, the more likely you're going to be able to bring them on the journey, right? And and then, sure, we can innovate. We can look for opportunities to make the, the infrastructure, the value chain streamlined, more efficient, on-chain, off-chain, public versus private chain. You, we can have all these conversations, but it's better to have most of those folks in on the journey and solve it with them than try to solve it and then bring them this I flipped the entire structure on its head, and now I want you to change the way you completely do your business. I, I think that's a really hard sell. So one example of building the crypto, and it's innovative and different, but trying to bring it to the TradFi, but it, it doesn't jive, is things like settlement and custody. Custody is one example where, sure, you're you're safekeeping a record. It's In that way, it's the same, but the record data structure is different. The settlement finality is different, right? So yeah. it's key material, and it's not like a whatever it is that a equity share is ultimately it's at your BD, but it's also at the DTC, who knows? So trying to force that in is very difficult for people. And 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 it wasn't even until, I mean, Fidelity is one of the first that launched an institutional custodian for this reason. This was something that we and others, not certainly not just me, but when I was there, it was decided this was like one of the clearest base case market needs because trying to force people into that new thing was very difficult. Um, ha- has that improved? And on those two examples specifically, like, Settlement, I mean, I there were there was a company in Chicago I knew for a long time and and many attempts at like some kind of central clearing and settlement thing, but either it required a lot of capital and no one would trust a startup to like be that. And then people said maybe it should be a consortium of I don't know, all the exchanges or all the custodians or all right. the whatever's and everyone's tried to build a network and then has that improved? Yeah, I th- you know, I think we've certainly come a long way from where we were in 17 or even 14 or right. or 2010, if you <laughs> really think about how, you know, you go back and watch your Netflix shows and you learn about, you know, uh, I can't remember the, the Canadian uh, exchange that they have. at Quadriga CX. Yes, that one. Yes, Quadriga. exactly. So I watched that one. Um, yeah, that was know, a mystery. During my that journey one. just to kind of like, wow, I didn't really know about it at the time. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But looking back, you know, through the lens, obviously it's easy to be, you know, Monday morning quarterback and be like, oh, we should have done it that way and that way. But I think we've come a long way. But it's, it's different. So it's the way you custody equity is likely different than the way you're going to have to custody crypto. Um, you've mentioned, you know, obviously the key material and, and, and those types of deals. You know, whether or not we see the same market structure or the end state market structure in crypto as we see in kind of equities today, I think is, is where everybody is maybe butting heads. Um, but, I, but I do think making it as agnostic and is similar for those traditional entities to be able to enter is important, meaning they have choice in custodian today and a lot of the assets they use. They have choice in prime broker. They have choice in the way they execute, who they execute through, mm-hmm. all you know, how they get borrow, lend, financing, all the kind of things. I still don't think there's enough of that in the in the crypto ecosystem. And, and maybe it's from their lens, I would say, maybe not enough of the same players. So over time, you know, as those players start to enter digital assets, whether mm-hmm. it's crypto or real world assets or whatever, we'll start to see those services being offered. And I think that'll unlock a lot of it. The challenge from an exchange perspective I've looked at is those things didn't exist when platforms, I'll call them platforms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because they're doing a lot of different things other than just being an exchange um, were created. So you had to have a wallet. Right. right, you had to custody assets. You whether had to pre-fund you pre-fund your account, right. Right. whether you're a custodian or not, or a qualified custodian or not, even you still had to have a wallet where people gave you coin, right, and even dollars before you could really do anything on the platform. We're still really there, though. We've seen in the last, I call it, twelve months, some really great. Um, I wouldn't call it innovation, but really great um, development um, in that space where now you have like the Pico. The Go Network, Copper Clear Loop, yep. you know, you're starting to see these kind of like networks of custodians and exchanges where now all of a sudden you can trade without moving your this. coin, which yeah. I think is important because maybe not everybody, everybody's level of trust is different. And who am I to say you should trust me? Well, you know, maybe you don't want to. And if I want to compete for your business and I want to operate an exchange, I can't look at any other exchange that that I'm used to running or building mm-hmm. that holds the asset class. So I kind of say, maybe I shouldn't hold it, right? But there's a transitionary period there. And I think we're starting to be in that. Where the end state is, you know, I think is really interesting. But this whole concept of self-custody or 
being able to trade out of your cold wallets, I think, is the right direction for the ecosystem. But it's still uh, an island approach. You have right. islands, and we need to solve all the islands. And obviously, who does that eloquently and with the least amount of friction for the end customer will will have a really interesting product. Yeah, that'd be a big uh, company or consortium or whatever it is. Um, right, you don't send your Apple stock to Nizi if you want to sell it. Right. right. There's a settlement yeah. cycle, and you know, I don't know. Um, but but it, yeah, as a necessary, that didn't exist. So every crypto exchange, every crypto platform now, because they're not all like this to your point, but they or they all are were custodians by you know de facto custodians, right? They had to, um, and it's not just yeah, you don't want to exchanges historically don't do that. So I can see why you wouldn't want to. But also the SEC's new uh, custody rule proposal actually requires that uh, advisors don't. Refund, or that uh, what they what it requires is that all these assets stay in qualified custody. Right. So that it should be pushing further in that di direction, right? Yeah. Are we getting I, close? <clears throat> you mentioned a couple examples. I mean, yep. can can we trade now? Depending on if my setup is correct on Cibo Digital without prefunding, basically and settling. Yeah. Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Right. So I would say not right. yet, but I think that's the evolution, yeah. right? And I think as we see these, so from our perspective, we're watching that, right? And I think as we see those expand, we want to embrace them. Ultimately, that's that's where I want to go in the sense yeah. that I don't I don't want to hold coin or dollars for that you matter. Just want to I just trades, want to match trades, execution, and clear trades, which yeah. I think is interesting because we we haven't talked about this yeah, yet. Yeah. What does like, this mean, by the way? Clearing, Can you explain to the audience clearing what clearing like, is? So clearing is that that part of like the, the exchange plumbing or or financial market plumbing, as I call it, um, that that always gets overlooked a little bit. And that's yeah. the, that's this concept of you have a, a, a trade match, right? And that that technology is um, can be advanced or can be pretty simple. Um, but the concept of clearing is is actually saying, okay, yes, I I have some relationship or I have the assets and I actually can make sure the trade happens, right? It's settled. It's, I, you know, you give me your Bitcoin and I give you dollars, right? If there's no one in between, who hits go first, Yeah. right? If I'm clearing it in between, then you and I can trade and I can, I can depend, I can trust on this entity, this third entity, this third party entity to make sure that all this happens. And if it doesn't happen, that clearinghouse stands in the middle, Yeah. right? So if you default and you didn't give me the coin, the clearinghouse is going to make sure I get the coin, yeah. right? And so that- And maybe that, they they take recourse against the broken side right. of the trade or something. And if you think about like equities, there's multiple parties in between happen, all of that. It it's not just me and you right? and a third party, right? There's yeah. prime brokers, there's clearing brokers, right. there's retail brokers, and maybe it's the same entity, maybe it's multiple entities. That doesn't really exist yet in crypto, one of the things that we are working on at Cibo Digital is that concept of a CCP for crypto assets. And we're really already doing it today in the sense that we have two legal entities. One runs the exchange, one runs the clearinghouse, we call it, where everything is cleared and settled and right. where all the licenses are. And what we are now starting to do is clear for other platforms, right? So if you want to stand up just an exchange or just an ECN, but you don't want to deal with the clearing and settlement, you can send the trades to us and we'll clear it. That's now, cool. And SIBO has a, a trusted brand and size to, to because that's part of it is your, it's almost like an escrow clearing, right? So it's sort of like, this is one of the things I was alluding to when some of the startups wanted to solve this problem. And it's kind of like, well, why would us two big traders, let's say we're big traders, why would we meet at like little bitty startup to do that for us? Like don't, you want some capital, some yeah. experience, some name, some reputation behind that central, I mean, because that is by definition a trusted third party, right? Right. And, and so you... Start that with it's all pre-funded today, right? So the risk is pretty low, obviously. But for the participant, you have counterparty risk in the sense that you're giving someone, in this case, Cibo Digital, the assets. But ultimately, being able to do that where now I no longer hold the assets and those assets are held at some third-party custodian is the kind of like what I'll call that utopia. Right. But really, it's not anything new. It's the way equity markets have yeah. functioned for decades right. upon decades. And so it's, I think, that evolution will bring a tremendous amount of buy-side entr entrants that are standing on the fences saying, I'm trading derivatives because it's fully regulated, it's structured different, you know, and I'm comfortable with it, but I'm not trading spot because of some of those concerns that, that would be solved by that. One of, one of the barriers has been that, the, again, again, it comes to regulatory, is that the traditional custodians and traditional exchanges that have already built all of this stuff, 
um, I think for the most part, we're talking a lot of times about messages. There are, right, it's electronic messaging. Most of these processes, obviously on one end, you do have settlement and delivery of a different type of asset. So there's some tech that's crypto native, but the matching engines, there's tons of those, right? Like you, like you said, they can be simple, complex, but like it's a relatively solved problem. Yep. Um, some of that is like out of the box technology. Um, clearing, it's, it's, it's trust. There's probably tech for that too. But again, it's not, it doesn't really matter what you're clearing as long as both parties know about it and can mm -hmm. agree to it and the third party can clear it. Um, but because there hasn't been regulated custodians, like the existing regular custodians, the big banks, the, the ones that custody equities, they're not allowed to touch crypto. So they, so none of the crypto settlement like evolution could go through their existing pipes right. basically. Well, they, they could. I think there's just been some strong guidance right. that potentially might hinder well, the, that, that's sort the of commercial I mean. opportunity, right? right? Because, you know, we could, the elephant in the room, maybe it's a SAB 1121. Yes. But, I, you know, if I'm, if I'm running a business, out, not an exchange business, and I need to custody a customer's assets and I need to hold that as a liability on my balance sheet, and, and if you I have, have bank rate, capital big, requirements. Right, exactly. Yeah. Now you've nailed it. Now all of a sudden I need to park a bunch of capital in some account that this, I'm earning very limited interest, if, right. if any, on it just because I'm holding a customer's, you know, non-cat, you know, crypto yeah. assets in this case. It makes the business case that much harder. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it effectively impossible money, in the right? scheme of things. Yeah. And so um, even, even if you're not a bank, you could cut broker dealers also custody and, and, but the broker dealer guidances and stuff have been yeah. scanned as well. It's, it's been um, difficult. All right. Let say. me get like a little nerdy with you. Cause I wanted to ask you about um, best X, the yeah. reg NMS rule that, well, first, maybe you can tell us what that is, but I want to ask you how it applies to crypto, if at all. Um, I don't think it actually technically really would apply yet. Yeah. But is there even a concept of it in crypto? But maybe you can explain what it is in the first yeah. place. High level, uh, put my equity yeah. hat on, though I would always say I was an equity derivatives. <laughs> and the market structure there is very different than equities, not to get even nerdier here yeah. on this stuff. But, you know, best X essentially is, is a requirement on, on your broker dealer to make sure that you get the best price. That's available at the time, right? right? So if you know Bitcoin's trading at fifty thousand as an example to use for Bitcoin, um, but you bought it at fifty one thousand, that sounds like a bad trade, right? right? Like you just spent an extra thousand bucks if you're buying a whole Bitcoin. You probably don't want to spend that extra thousand bucks. And, and so I think how you execute crypto is different in the sense that you go to one place today, right? You go to a platform mm -hmm. and you get their market. Right. Um, and that's the price you get. What if it was trading at a different price on a different platform? You have to go onboard there. Then you have to deal with the routing and then the whole world gets right. very complex. And then you have capital issues because maybe those are all pre-funded. And so right. <laughs> how, do, how do you manage all that? Right. It, it becomes very complex. Um, that's where we like our setup. Obviously, I'm biased, but being an intermediary, we're not we don't want retail to we, we don't onboard retail. Um, so you would go through a retail broker or another intermediary, and then they would be able to access our platform and likely other places. And then they could amalgamate all the prices and then try to, you know, give you right. the best the best offer to right. buy your right. Bitcoin at. Right. Um, but I think we're still in the very early stage. There are some places that do it, right? But it's not it's not required. At right. the regulatory level. And it right? is tricky because Bitcoin's a global asset, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, if it is it, really hard. And there have historically been some, like, I mean, they're idiosyncratic usually when they happen, but there have been dislocations between global markets as well. Um, but that that makes it tricky. I think of Bitcoin and, and really all of crypto because of its seamless uh, global nature, because it really is, runs on the internet, which is global, um, more like a commodity in terms of how it trades, and maybe in other ways too, but in terms of how it trades, you know, a major equity may trade, will actually in the end trade on one exchange, right? So you, you do, the, the execution ultimately happens. You can go to dark pools and these other types of mm -hmm. execution venues, but like eventually it all hits like the New York Stock Exchange or CBO BZX or, or something, right? Um, or I'm, just some trade on multiple. Some, I mean, you, you can, I mean, on the, the equity market structure is there's a lot of places you can execute and then all everything everything gets reported. Reported. Right, to the to the tape. And so you can see all the trades, right? So that's okay, also so there's some transparency. Right, yeah. There's a there's a there's a uh, a global price feed where you can see all right. the prices from all the exchanges. We don't really have that. We don't really have there's so many things yeah. that that the crypto industry doesn't necessarily have. Whether or not good or bad, we should have them. There's probably 
you can line We're up on both sides of that yet. argument, yeah. right? We're just not there. Yeah. And again, the globalization, I think, is, is tricky. Do you have like a U.S. only best X? And then what happens if there's dislocations right. between the U.S. and Europe? Who can whose fault who's is gonna that? Be, or, and who's going to trade that dislocation right. because right. it's an ARB? And ideally, you would want folks doing that so that way the global prices align. But like, is there best X requirement or expectation for something like spot gold? Uh, I, don't, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think but so But I'm either. not going to say that I that I truly know that I. Yeah. That, well, that I, I just know that this this rule that we're talking about is specifically an SEC rule, yeah, so it wouldn't apply issue. to gold. But I, right. I'm not sure. I actually don't. You're right. I do not actually know if the CFTC has say put something out. But I honestly can't imagine that you could because gold is traded at pawn shops at gold dealers. I yeah. mean, Tiffany's is one of the biggest sellers of gold, right? Yeah. Like commodities don't like trade in sort of one market. They, they can, you can mine gold anywhere on earth. You can farm yeah. corn on anywhere on earth, right? So like how, how those, and those, most markets I think tend to be much more dislocated in terms of price geographically, simply because they're physical things in different parts of the world. Yeah. And while, you know, Bitcoin is not physical in that sense, and it, it's certainly moves more freely across borders, it is global in that way. So it'd be yeah. like hard pressed for me to tell you what like the central most, the like the the most like top of book, like tightest bid ass spread in all of crypto is like, it's not right. probably changes a lot. It's really not clear. Um, then you have FX involved too. So it's, it gets, it gets tricky. Right. And then you have the stable coins and yeah. like, do you link the books? Do you do a risk haircut on any of the stable coins? Yeah. Like, it it uh, you that, know, <laughs> starts to get really, uh, you know, really nerdy. So you know? I, I'm going to go to the state because I know you mentioned USDC is one of the coins that you guys have on the platform. But before that, I want to ask another, um, well, what about things? We talked a lot about what TradFi market structure and technologies and, and um, in general can bring to crypto markets. Um, that's, I think, obviously a core, it was a core value proposition for Erisex and I know for SIBO Digital now too. Um, what about things that crypto can bring to TradFi? And one that I want to ask you about is the perpetual swap. Oh, yeah. I think this is a brilliant financial instrument. We don't have it in traditional markets. Do you have any view on why or yeah. if we might ever? I know it's – this is one where it feels to me now it wasn't invented by crypto, but I think it was first implemented by BitMEX. Like, so there's actually yeah. an – I looked into this once. There's – an academic paper invented it in like the 90s, but I think Arthur Hayes is basically the first person to actually do it. Sure. And now, of course, it's integral to crypto markets. Yep. Could we ever see that in TradFi markets? Yeah. I you know, I think the they're called perpetual futures, right, on a lot of platforms, but you right. nailed it. They're, they're swaps, right? It's a bilateral exchange of the funding amount between yep. the buyer and the seller, and the, the platform is really just a, a tech provider between that funding, right? And I think that the swap is the key part. In the U.S. now, you're talking about the CFTC um, and the regulations around swap swap dealers or swap execution facility thefts and and their reporting and and then the question really be it is are the retail brokers that are you know that are facing the customers going to offer or can they offer or will that would they be willing right. maybe is a better question I don't not, I can't say whether they can either. or can't yeah a, a swap to their customers right there's obviously different risks associated with swaps and there are listed cleared contracts even swaps can be cleared um, they, but they don't have to be uh, centrally cleared and, and so you get into all these little nuances that um, is probably I'm gonna guess I'm gonna go out on a limb on that one and say is why most um, most uh, FCMs um, and brokers are not offering swaps to their customers because there's very liquid swap markets today, interest rate swaps. And so you could get sophisticated traders that understand the risks and are willing to take the risks, probably access to swaps if you wanted. Um, and, and, and I'm sure there's ways you can get access to them if that's really what you want as an individual mm -hmm. you know, investor. What crypto has done is really brought the retail traders into this concept of swaps with, with, this, with this perpetual. And from my preview, I would say it's because of the leverage. So you get a similar asset that looks like the spot market doesn't expire it trades at a little bit of a basis depending mm -hmm. on the structure of the product. And now you get some leverage yep. and then obviously depending on where you go and what platform you can get extreme leverage. Right. Yeah. And so now you can kind of, you know, get the type of a different exposure that you want. And I think what we've struggled with in the U S um, is probably seeing the same amount of retail engagement in quote unquote futures markets as we see in kind of equity derivative markets. Yeah. So, you know, why are single stock options and index options, index equity options so popular and why aren't few options on futures? 
mm-hmm. as popular, you know, and, and maybe it's the product, maybe it's the structure, you know, again, not a good question, not, not for today to solve. And I'm probably not the right person to, to, to answer that, but that's the phenomena that we've seen. And obviously huge amount of demand, huge amount of volume trading in those yeah. internationally. Oh, yeah. So I think something has to give, right? Either, um, you know, we need to see those participants offer swaps to their retail somehow with, mm-hmm. you know, those with venues like Acebo Digital potentially offering that swap and, mm-hmm. you know, being it probably centrally cleared for capital efficiencies and things like that. Um, or it's got to be a different product. Yeah. Right. It's got to be structured a different way. Um, and I think that's just it's a challenge. You also have a futures market that's been sitting around for 50 plus years that um, there's a role. Right. And there's commercials about around the role in terms of who's making money in the role. And so there's also now all of a sudden, if I can get exposure and I don't ever have to roll for me, if I'm a trader, it's probably cheaper, though. I might pay more in premium, maybe in terms of price difference, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, But everybody else that's charging commissions, fees along the way is going to lose out on that. So what does the real market look like? Is the fee higher? Yeah. Is the premium higher? Um, there's obviously a there's there's a there's a um, a cannibalization potential there for anyone that's offering futures contracts. Obviously, uh, we have right. you know we have those same contracts buyer every one month, three months. Right, right, right. And so if someone wants to roll now, they don't have to. I lose that transaction totally uh, revenue from my perspective as an exchange. And so there's some risk there. And so I think yeah. all those um, different factors play at whether or not we will or won't. I, I think. It's a really interesting product, and and I think it could be really interesting for the future yeah. of um, at least crypto in the U.S. Whether or not it gets applied to other assets, right? You know, is is TBD. I always wonder, like, what innovations crypto will will seep from crypto will seep into traditional market yeah. structure. Another one is obviously the stablecoin, and yep. and I want to ask about this because I you said you have USDC on the platform. I I assume that means I can trade the other four like non-stable crypto assets against. USDC markets if I want, or I guess it doesn't really matter. It's an equivalent. Can I do deposits and withdrawals at Cebo Digital in USDC stablecoin? You can bring it and you can buy uh, other coins with it or you can sell coins for it. Yeah. Um, but we don't integrate the books. They're still separate, right? Think so, of it as its own coin, yeah, it's basically. It's its own But you can send it out almost. to me. Like I could operate solely on the stablecoin. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do wires in and out and nope. stuff. Because this was one of the things we, I remember early on at Fidelity when I led blockchain research there, we thought about well, wow, like these networks in many ways, even Bitcoin, which is, you know, comparatively slow compared to some other blockchains, is almost lightning speed compared to TradFi. Compared to dollars. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Or, or equity settlement, right? Any of the mm-hmm. existing, um, not the trading, trading in, in TradFi is quite fast, but like the settlements. The settlement. and the, yep. Yeah, and so we said, man, without, and this is like 2016, and there, Tether was probably like 10 million in the supply. Now yeah. it's 100 billion. Yeah. Um, and there's probably 140 billion total U.S. dollar denominated stablecoin supply today. Um, but it was so early and we were saying like without the dollar leg, like we can't really like offer robust on-chain folk. I mean, you know, you can wire us cash and we can sell you Bitcoin with dollars, but the Bitcoin will arrive or be sent almost immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and the dollars yeah. will take more time to right. Right. arrive or be sent. Like, do you see uh, a wide adoption eventually? I mean, isn't isn't like a public blockchain just a much better rail for dollars than other technologies? Don't Yeah. I, you know, I think ultimately end state something like that, yes. Whether it's a stable coin or what we call stable coins today or something different, uh, tokenized money market fund or tokenized deposits, right. uh, central bank digital currency. You know, I, I don't know on that one. Um, and the, the opinions vary significantly as you talk about each of those. They do, yeah. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I think that the challenge... Um, today is is stablecoins aren't regulated the way some of the other collateral vehicles are in traditional finance. And so I think there's potential for additional risk. I'm not saying there is, but I think from a risk management perspective, you look at that and say, oh, there's additional risk there. And so I think that's probably um, why maybe the adoption hasn't been as fast. I think internationally it's different because there's the dollar system in the U.S. is so strong. Dollar is still really what I'll call king when it comes to settlement, even potentially even globally. Right. And so when you bring on something that isn't dollar denominated, like USDT, you've seen a wide adoption, but that's also because it's traversing jurisdictions, currencies. Right. And so there, there isn't necessarily the same 
widespread adoption of another currency as there is maybe the dollar globally. And so I think, you know, that's that's maybe why we've seen it work so well internationally. Um, tokenization, which is, you know, uh, Much the, bigger. The, the hot, the newest hot, hottest topic, right? The last six months. Everything or, old is new again. Right, exactly. It was, it was hot a couple of years ago, <laughs> yeah, I think, if I remember. And, yeah. um, but that to me, you talk about what crypto can bring to traditional finances, maybe not like the coins themselves, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. That's really interesting. It's the technology, right? How can we leverage DLT blockchain technology in the way our system works today to make it better, right? So we a lot of people talk about atomic settlement. Is there a use case for it? Right? Depending on the asset, sure. Not every asset. I don't think I'll see in my lifetime single stock equity settling atomically. Um, but maybe, and if we do, I think the cost of those equities from a spread perspective that you you know that you get when you when you cross it will be bigger because market makers lose a little bit of efficiency if you make them deal with their capital atomically. But there's probably some medium between where we're at. We're going from T2 to T1 now. Does it get better than T1? You know, maybe this technology can help. Tokenized fiat or collateral, I think, is really interesting in the sense of, like, how do we make it less expensive and friction and remove the friction from the ecosystem um, for the purposes of settling transactions, right? It doesn't have to be trading crypto or trading equities, just transactions. Like you're going to give me this and I'm going to give you that. And that is going to be dollars. But instead of me sending an ACH or a wire handing you dollars, like am I giving you some token that's in lieu of it, whether it's a central bank currency or a token that represents something that's held in some transfer agent or whatever, you know, yeah. I, you know, there's probably a lot of different ways that can go. I think that's likely the evolution we'll see in the future. Yeah, you could see that. That yeah. seems plausible. And not to, with regulation or clarity around stablecoin, right, safety, adoptability, yeah. et cetera. Regulation on stablecoins could really yeah. push stablecoins really to the forefront of that. If we see lack of that, then I could see tokenized money market funds or tokenized um, ABSs or something like that, which is like, you know, very trusted, has a strong regulatory framework around it. Could actually totally. leapfrog stablecoins. All right, right, so you you run a centralized exchange um, with a bunch of great features, both from crypto and from the long history of traditional exchange operation, as we've discussed. What do you think about DeFi? Aren't you the exact business that the crypto puritans think should be disintermediated itself? Will it ever happen? <laughs> yeah, so the first part, yes, I think I am the exact business or running a business. That's the exact reason why, right. you know, maybe Bitcoin maybe was about, formed in the first place. We talk about CCPs right? and, and right. trusted intermediaries for settlement. Like, yeah. you know, um, you know, Nick Zabo says that trusted intermediaries are security holes, right? Like that. That's that there's a core ethos of attempting to remove as many trusted intermediaries as possible. Do you think yeah. trading, though, um, you know, obviously DeFi is sort of its own ecosystem and has grown quite large but like in a box kind of, yeah. you haven't seen the principles or technology really behind DeFi. Mm -hmm. The applications seep their way into TradFi. Do, do you think we will? Um, I think it depends on the asset. And I think, yes, we will. I don't, I don't think it's a, it should be all or none. I think there are definitely probably lots of pockets of quote-unquote finance that DeFi probably can do really great things in. And I think we probably will see that over time. Do I think that... I'll use single stock equities again as an example. Right. Do I think single stock equities are going to trade in a DeFi-like manner in the future? I would. I probably take the other side of that. I might be wrong, and that'd be that. That'd be really interesting. I just think about all the things in line that have to be solved for that to actually work, and what the costs are. Like, not everything gets better. If you change something, there could be a cost, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you add all that up. I'm just. I'm not sure I see it, but. Um, to answer, you know, I'm not against DeFi. And from my perspective, obviously, I've, I've run a centralized exchange in Clearinghouse, so I sh maybe I should be against DeFi. <laughs> I think the technology is really interesting, and I think yeah. what it can solve is really interesting. It's just I don't want to boil the ocean with it. I just want to say, okay, maybe over here it works really great. Let's figure out how to do that in a trusted, transparent manner with oversight. Maybe that adds a lot of value to the participants, maybe with not a ton of friction, and that could be really interesting, right? But um, you know, and so th those Makes are the types of evolution I think we'll see over time. I mean, it sounds like SIBO Digital is well positioned in between traditional investors and exchange users and cryptocurrency 
networks and, and assets, right? So like you're, it makes sense. You think about it more as a bridge. Maybe there are pieces, there are pieces from each, right? But it wouldn't make sense. If you went full DeFi, you convert SIBO digital into like an automated market maker like Uniswap, then you probably lose a lot of your traditional users because you're building it for them primarily yeah. to give them access to this innovative asset class. Makes a lot of sense um, to me. Uh, but I do wonder that too, by the way. I, I don't see any... I don't see any clamoring in traditional finance, any part of it, to have DeFi come into TradFi, quote yeah. unquote. I see demand for on-chain pulling in traditional assets, like real-world assets we talked about. There's plenty of that. Yep. I don't see anyone that's waking up saying, oh my gosh, I would like, that, that is in traditional trading or equities or, or or any part, really. Although I think FX would be very interesting on-chain. I think that actually, because it's global, it's not yeah. really regulated in that yeah. way. We Can't, haven't talked about FX. But no, yeah. I mean, well, let me ask you that one then, because I've always thought this was a great candidate for something like a tokenized decentralized market, because FX is basically not regulated, and it can't really be, because it's by definition, cross-jurisdictional. Yeah. I'm sure there are rules like, you know, about how different like entity types, like a broker-dealer or a custodian or something handles FX. That's different. But the trading of it is inherently international, right? Yep. There's no international market regulator, really. Yep. Um, there are standards and whatnot. But like, does that seem like something where, you talk about tokenized fiat, like doesn't this seem like a lot of it's swaps? I mean, and, and obviously there's other markets, but like it seems like this thing could move, uh, would make a lot of sense on chain in some ways because like, FX, it's, you know, public blockchains are global, decentralized, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely very interesting things um, in the FX space. It would be interesting to see if, like, as an industry, we kind of look at FX. I know sometimes we get focused on certain parts yeah. of the, you know, the broader market and say, okay, let's let's do bonds or, oh, let's do collateral or let's right. do real estate or let's do, you know, we haven't really looked at FX. Um, so I, haven't, really I haven't really ever heard of anyone focusing on it, yeah. um, but it does seem to make sense to me in some ways. And, and um, especially again, because like it, it, FX is cross-jurisdictional. Yep. Right? It, it's very similar to crypto in that sense, but also similar in market structure in the sense that you have a lot of, you know, there, there's no you know, no best X if we compare it to equities, right? right? There's, um, there's a lot no, of over-the-counter like, trading, no consolidated tape that tells you everything. It's all a lot of OTC. Uh, there is obviously some ECNs and, you know, disclosure SIBO, um, operates SIBO FX, which, which, um, is in the FX business. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. there's, there's, there's a lot of, um, I don't know, overlap similarities, whatever yeah. with FX, um, and crypto. And that's why I think you've seen a lot of FX, players that's true get into crypto early earlier a lot, than yeah. a lot of the other traditional players because there's so much similarity lots there lots of fx commodities types yeah. uh, love crypto for yeah. this reason i think it yep. makes a lot of sense before we wrap john um what is the your bullish view on C what are you guys looking forward to at SIBO digital and and what makes you uh want to work i mean you've been in the equity markets equity derivatives markets you've yeah. built exchanges you worked on an international exchange uh, you said out of Bermuda, which we won't even talk about, but I love Bermuda. But people don't realize Matt, incredible financial leader, Bermuda, yeah. huge in the insurance world. Yeah. Um, but you've been working on this for a while. You now lead SIBO Digital. So also not just what is SIBO Digital looking forward to and thinking about why are you guys, why did you acquire RSX? Why did why are you building all of this? What is your bullish view of this market? Yeah. And also what is your bullish view on these assets? Yeah. So from a SIBO digital perspective, I think it's it's the continued evolution of the ecosystem, right? Uh, spot Bitcoin ETF approval um, was, I think, fantastic. Obviously, we want to see more continuation there and more development. Um, anything we can do or working with partners that can do that can continue to bring more of, you know, the buy side and the traditional folks, sell side, prime brokers, the traditional custodians into the ecosystem, I think is going to be overall net positive. Um, and so that's really where we see the opportunity. Also derivatives. We didn't touch a ton about derivatives, right. um, but we're very excited about derivatives. We just launched futures um, in January. So we have futures on Bitcoin and ETH and we'll continue to build out not only that ecosystem as we onboard participants, but also new products. So we talk about being, you know, kind of crypto native and TradFi at that intersection. So that's really how we think about our product development as well. And that's not just like, oh, what order type are we going to bring? But it's more right. of like, what products can we list and trade? And how can we really drive, you know, U.S. innovation in, in kind of this crypto derivatives world? So, you know, we're very focused there as well. I'm very excited about kind of what that opportunity looks like. And uh, tokenization, I think, on that, you yeah. know, it's called the third leg. You have the spot market, the derivative market, maybe tokenization seeing how I think we really expand collateral 
for the purpose of just making it more seamless and removing friction from the value chain for our participants. I think we're really focused there as well. Personally, I mean, I hold Bitcoin disclosure, so obviously that the having and seeing the price go up is is I, yeah. you know, I'm not going to frown at that. Um, up a lot. Up even like just from 30 days ago, up almost yeah. 30%. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, we've seen a massive run. Um, yeah. I think the low is like 17 or 16,000. 16.5, I think something. is what I yeah, called I it as. But I mean, the was, ish. But, so quite a big rally. You know, how much more do we have? I mean, hey, I'd love... I mean, I'd love to see it higher than the last yeah. high. I'm not going to make a prediction because I'm not in that space. But whoever is predicting the highest number, I, I like. You're that fine with that. I'm like, hey, yeah, let's. That'd be great. You want it to go to a million, so do I. Who, yeah. who, who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That holds it doesn't, right? Yeah. Just from that perspective, I think why I'm, I'm obviously, you know, would be bullish on the price because I just, you know, we have the having, we saw the Bitcoin ETF, and so I think that that just generates um, participation broader participation. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the having might have, you know, different types of economic input totally. to the price, um, but general um, awareness, people migrating or I call or it a quadrennial it. marketing event. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's, it's, it, it shows Bitcoin's transparent, credibly neutral, uh, you know, supply schedule, yeah. basically, so um, which is pretty unique. All right. Well, John Palmer, president of SIBO Digital. Thank you so much for coming on Galaxy Brands. Alex, thanks for having me. That's it for this week's episode of Galaxy Brains. Thanks to my guest, John Palmer, president of SIBO Digital and our friend Bimnet, the BB from Galaxy Trading. As always, I hope you enjoyed the episode and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email, read our content at galaxy.com research, and follow us on Twitter at glxyresearch. See you next week.